Thank you, Sound Booth team. Thank you, choir. You guys sound so beautiful. I get it in stereo up here. These guys singing, you guys singing. It's awesome. And it drowns out me singing. Well, if you can call. All right. Anyway, so turn to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, page 948. We're continuing our journey through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 12. Wow, this is awesome. So uh, we're going to step into uh, uh, these verses today, but I want to go back uh, in history a little bit uh, because I need to connect what we're going to talk about today with a little bit of the past. Uh, it helps me anyway relate to it a little better, what we're going to talk about today. So you'll see in a minute. So it was August 11th, 1985. I realize some of you weren't even born then, but that's okay. Go with me. Um, I don't remember the time, but I remember the moment. Uh, Betsy wasn't feeling well, and she was not to be feeling well. She was nine months pregnant with our oldest daughter, Tara, and she'd been having some digestive problems throughout her pregnancy. Her morning routine was get up and throw up for nine months. And so this particular day, she was like, I really need some medicine. I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's a little embarrassing, but I really need some medicine. But we were stationed in Germany, U.S. Army, and everything's closed in Germany on Sunday. Everything's closed on base. Everything's closed everywhere at least in 1985, and so she said, well, go to the air base. The air base always has something open. So I drove 30 minutes to Ramstein Air Force Base, went to the pharmacy in the hospital. I was able to get the medicine. I was very excited. I had accomplished my mission, and I got back home, and I opened the door, very happy to give her the medicine, and she looked at me, and she goes, it's time. And see, everybody knows exactly what she meant. It's time. She didn't mean it's time to take the medicine, it's time to take the nap. No, it was, it was time. And so we went to the hospital, and uh, it wasn't exactly time, though, because 19 hours later or so, we're, we were kind of having a side argument about how long it was, but I win because she was in labor, and what does she know? I mean, what does she remember? What does she remember? That's what I meant to say. What does she remember? So, uh, and so Tara was born. I remember the moment, I don't remember the time. And then two and a half years after that, I heard those famous words again, it's time. And off we went to the hospital because she was pregnant with our son Danny. And we got to the delivery room and literally the doctor had to, we got in the room and the doctor had to run down the hallway. I could hear him running as fast as he could, and he popped in his chair and caught our son. <laughs> and it was like that, and I thought, man, maybe I'm going to have to deliver the baby. If we were 15 minutes or 30 minutes later, I would have delivered Danny in the backseat of our car on some side road in Germany. <laughs> it's time. What? Nothing wrong with that. Wrong with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Miriam, God bless you for the way you delivered your children, but there was just way too much, yeah. And uh, 
three years later, Tommy was born, but he had to have a C-section because he didn't angle himself quite right. And so the doctor told us what time it was. Betsy didn't have to tell me what time it was. So I don't remember the exact chronological time Tara, Danny, and Tommy were born. I don't remember even the exact chronological time that when we got to the Detroit airport, uh, Naomi was put in our arms, and then a couple years later, Leanna was put in our arms at the Detroit airport. I don't remember the exact chronological time, but I remember the moment. I don't remember the moment we met our son Ted in the orphanage in Russia when he was five and a half, but I remember the moment. In the Greek language, which is what the New Testament's written in, there's two words for time. See, in the English language, we have one word for time, and that word is time. You guys are. But in Greek, there's two words, chronos and kairos. Chronos, that's the time we think of, the time on the clock, the sequential ticking away, tick-tock goes the clock. That's chronos time. But kairos has a whole different meaning. Kairos means the critical, the right, the opportune moment. A moment of time when perhaps everything in your life might change. Think of some of your kairos moments you've experienced in your life. A critical moment when your life, in your life, when everything changed. What, what are some What's, what's a Kronos, I'm sorry, a Kairos moment that you've experienced? Marriage? Accepting Christ. Marilyn went for the good one right from the start. Good job, Marilyn. Anybody else? Kairos moment? Graduation from high school. I know you guys got another year, right? Another year, and then there'll be a big Kairos moment. So we experience these Kairos moments, right? Graduations, maybe a new job, uh, a new place to live, some achievement, a loved one leaves you, an accident, a friend rejects you, a doctor gives you some good or some bad news, and the, and the big one, as Marilyn pointed out, meeting Jesus for the first time. That's the Kairos moment that will totally change your life. But then stepping into a new season following Jesus, even those divine appointments, when God works in you and then he works through you, and you see someone else's life change as they draw near to the Lord. So we have these kairos moments as chronos time passes by. And so as chronos time ticks by, we all experience kairos moments, but listen to this. If we treat kairos moments like chronos moments, we will miss those critical, opportune moments for God to work in us and God to work through us and for his kingdom to advance and for people to be drawn to him and for his beauty to be shown in the world. So if we let Kairos become Kronos, we'll miss those moments. And I know personally, I've missed way too many Kairos moments because I was focused on Kronos. 
funny story. Uh, just after the first service, one of the greeters, uh, who it was their job, job that they got to pass out bulletins as you all walked in, and they were off to the side talking to someone, and uh, the someone they were talking to, her husband said, "See, she's my my wife's keeping the greeters from doing their job," and I said, "Remember Kairos." over Kronos, and we had this good laugh, and you'll see more when we get through the, the message. But we can't let our Kairos moments be missed because we're focused on the clock. And you're thinking, uh-oh, that means this is going to be a long sermon. <laughs> I've missed too many. I don't want to miss any more. Today, Paul's challenge is defined in these words in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He says, you know the time. You know the time. For time in this verse is not Kronos, but it's Kairos. You know the Kairos. Paul is telling us, you know the critical, opportune moment in the redemptive history of God's plan where he wants to draw people to himself. We all came to this place this morning to draw closer to God. And the message, the challenge for us is we know the time. We know the time. Now, Paul prefaces the challenge in chapter 13, verse 11, with a discussion about the practicalities of following Jesus. Last week, Tommy shared Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. And he pointed out that chapter 12 really is this pivot from theology and, and choices we have in terms of God and in terms of unity of church. And in chapter 12, it pivots to how to practically follow Jesus. And I just, so I just want to share three applications that he shared last week. And uh, they relate to us, so they bear repeating. Uh, the first is this. We need to daily renew our commitment to following Jesus. Amen? Daily renew our commitment to following Jesus. Not weekly, not monthly, not once in a while. Daily, we need to renew our commitment to following Jesus. The second was this. We need to actively, not passively, but actively reject conformity to the things of this world and embrace God's transforming work in our lives. We need to be active in that and not passive. It just doesn't happen. We need to be actively pursuing that and third, we need to let God stretch us, even though it's uncomfortable. How many woke up this morning and said, I want to go to the church house, the church building with my church family, so I could be uncomfortable? Well, you need to be. Today, maybe we'll be a little uncomfortable. So Paul prefaces his challenge, you know the time with the discussion about love. Well, that sounds better. We'll talk about love for a while. So in verse 9, chapter 12, Paul writes, let love be genuine. Somebody says, how do you know, somebody say, how do you know if love is genuine? How do you know love genuine? Well, that's a good question. Paul tells us in chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. In fact, he gives us 18 measures of genuine love. 18 Who's ready to memorize 18? Mm, that would be hard. So I'm going to share them. 
what these 18 are, uh, measures of genuine love are. Listen to them. Let them kind of uh, wash over your soul. The first is abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So the first one doesn't really say anything about love per se. The first one points to our hearts. In our hearts, we need to abhor evil, and we need to hold fast or embrace what is good. So basically, if we want to have genuine love, if we want to demonstrate genuine love, we can't also embrace evil. We need to abhor evil, embrace God's goodness, embrace what is good, and then we can have genuine love. So that's the first one. The second one, I'm going to read through them quite, uh, quite quickly. This is chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. The next one, number two, love one another with brotherly affection. Number three, outdo one another in showing honor. Number four, do not be slothful in zeal. Those are pretty, some, some pretty strong words there. Don't ever call someone slothful unless you really mean it. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Number five, rejoice in hope. Number six, be patient in tribulation. Number seven, be constant in prayer. Number eight, contribute to the needs of the saints. Number nine, seek to show hospitality. Number ten, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Genuine love. Number eleven, rejoice with, rejoice with those who weep. Nope. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And you all as a church family are wonderful at this. Number 12, live in harmony with one another. Number 13, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be, number 14, never be wise in your own sights. Has that got to do with love? Oh, yes it does, Paul tells us. Never be wise in your own sight. Number 15, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Number 16, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Number 17, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And finally, number 18, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what genuine love looks like. Who's overwhelmed by all of that? This is the love that followers of Jesus are to aspire to. This is the love that we're to aspire to. Now, who likes taking tests? Kathy does? Okay, good. All right, Kathy, I have a test for you. No, just kidding. So when we think of tests, we think of pass, fail, or we think A, B, C, D, or F. Uh, I feel sorry for all the folks that get E's, and, but it gets skipped. In the Army, the standard was go or no go. You took a test, and you either got a go and got to move on to the next level, or you got, to, got a no go, and you had to retrain to try and get a go. And if you got too many no-goes, you were gone. Go or no-go. In school, it's A, B, C, D, F. 
And whatever you got, as long as it wasn't an F, you're like, good, I, I, I got a grade, I got a D, I got a C, whatever, I'm done, I'm moving on, right? Nobody gets a C in calculus and takes it again so they can get a better grade, am I right? Well, I wasn't in the first service because two people said, well, I've done that before. They ruined my whole sermon. So, <laughs> but when we think of the measures of genuine love, we can't think go, no go, A, B, C, D. We need to think more like an, a, an athlete, a track athlete, or a swimming athlete, someone who is timed in their performance. See, when a sprinter is training, they are trying to improve their time. They may look ahead and say, wow, you know, the state record is this. I want to get to that someday. But every week they're trying to run faster than they did before. And this is what we do with the measures of genuine love. We don't think, wow, 18, that's a go, that's a go, no go, no go, no go, no go, no go, go, no go, F, F, F. We don't think that way. We think, how can I be more demonstrate more genuine love this week than I did last week. So how do we do that? How do we demonstrate genuine love a little more next week than we did this week? I want to give you, I'll give you four steps. I don't usually give methods, uh, but this today I think it fits. The first one is Identify one measure to focus on from Paul's list. If you look at all 18, make a master plan. Here's how I'm going to be a real genuine lover person. Uh, it's not going to work. Just pick one. Pick one. This one I'm going to develop more so that I have a more genuine love next week. So read through the list. Ask yourself, which area of love should I develop first? Perhaps you've become complacent, slothful in your zeal for serving the Lord. Maybe that's the one to work on. Maybe you've been so busy, you've become so busy, you can't find time to pray. Maybe that's the one to work on. Perhaps you're so stressed out by your circumstances, anybody there, that you find it difficult to live peaceably with everyone. Then maybe you work on that one. So whatever it is, identify that one measure. And if you're like, ah, I'm, I don't know which one I should start with. Ask somebody who loves you. <laughs> but you have to do it like this. There'll be no retribution no matter what you say. Which one of these should I work on? You've got to be honest. No retribution. Right? right? Not like which one and then they tell you and then you're mad at them for six months. So identify. Identify our measure. After we identify our measure then that we're going to focus on, then we need to invite the Lord, invite the Lord to transform our hearts because we can't do this on our own. So we invite the Lord to transform our hearts. This is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So we need to invite the Lord to transform us. Have you ever had someone in your life where uh, they 
are always promising to invite you, but they never do. You know, you run into, you run into them at the grocery store, and they say, oh, we need to get together. I'll call you. And then what happens? They never call you. They never invite you. We need to invite the Lord to transform us. If we don't invite him, we won't recognize him at work in our lives. So we identify the measure of genuine love that we want to improve on, and we invite the Lord to transform us in this area. And then we invest our time, our chronos time, and our energy in joining God's work of transforming us. We know that if a sprinter shows up to the track five minutes a day, six days a week, and for one hour seven on the seventh day, their time will never, ever get very good. That makes sense, right? We know that. Well, it's the same with God's transforming work in us. We need to invest our time and our energy so that as God works in us, we join Him in that work and we experience His transformation. So we need to identify the measure and then we need to invite the Lord to transform us and then we need to invest our time and our energy in that transformation. If we want to experience the kairos moments God has for us, we need to invest our chronos time in the development of human love. And then the final thing is we need to gain insight from God's word regarding measures the measure we're focused on. Now, for the English folks, I know insight is not a verb like the other three words. But insight means this, the power or act of seeing into a situation. And a synonym for insight is discernment. We know what that means as followers of Christ. We want to discern what God's will is. We want to discern what God is calling us to. So we ask for insight Okay, Lord, I'm working on this part of genuine love. I need your insight regarding that so I understand it better, so I see what you're doing. So when we read the Bible, we need to read with purpose. Lord, show me how to develop a more genuine love. Give me insight. Give me discernment. The measure I picked out to focus on first is number six. Be patient in tribulation. I want to fix everything. When you ask for prayer, I will pray for you, but I want to fix it also. And I can't. And you know I can't. And I try to remember that I can't. I can't fix someone's brokenness. And so I need to be patient in tribulation. But what happens, because I want to fix everything, I get frustrated, and I get impatient. But you know, I thought, well, if I want to fix 
everything. I want to help people. I want to help them in their brokenness. I want to fix that. So if I get a little impatient, not with them, but maybe with God and maybe with the devil, and well, I'm always impatient with the devil, and, and, and I get frustrated, that's a sign of love, but it's not. Paul says, be patient in tribulation. And so when I get impatient with tribulation, when I get frustrated with brokenness, I'm not showing genuine love. So I've been reading in Isaiah, been thinking about being, be patient in tribulation. Our tribulation, your tribulation. And I read this in Isaiah 60, the end of verse 17, the and then part of verse 18. Listen to this. It just jumped off the page at me. I will, make your overse- I will make your overseers, your boss, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So God gives me this insight. What he wants in my life is not impatience and frustration at brokenness, at brokenness. He wants peace and righteousness to rule over my life. I'm reading that. I'm going, that's awesome. Who would like peace and righteousness to rule over their lives? And that's what he's saying. Peace. I want peace to be your taskmaster, your overseer, and righteousness to be your taskmaster. And then he wants me to know that what surrounds my life is salvation and praise. And I need to stop trying to create a world where there's no brokenness and everything runs like a well-oiled. So if we want to experience the kairos moments when God wants to work in us and through us, we need to identify how to become more uh, genuine in our love. And we need to invite him in to transform us and invest our chronos time and our energy. And then we need to gain insight from his word. Now in Romans 13, verse 8 through 10, Paul gives us two outcomes of genuine love. Let me cover these quickly. Verse 8, oh, verse 8, chapter 13. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So outcome one, Love fulfills the law. So this is why developing a more genuine love is so important. When we love with genuine love, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. We are fulfilling God's plan. Have you ever said this to God? I don't know what to do. All the time. And you don't hear an answer. I don't know what to do, Lord, and and you don't hear an answer. Here's your answer. Love. God, I don't know what to do with this person in my life or this situation in my life. What do I do, God? The answer is love. 
and let that love be genuine. And what is genuine love? Read Romans 12, verse 9 through 21. Lord, I don't know what to do with this relationship, love. One of the measures of love is, a genuine love is, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do with this horrible work environment. Love. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The first outcome is love fulfills the law. The second outcome is this. Love does no wrong. You can't go wrong if you are loving someone with God's genuine love. You can't ever go wrong by demonstrating genuine love. And so Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Listen to what that says. Owe no one anything except love. What that says is, I owe you love. And you all owe me love. I will always owe you love. You will always owe me love. And we, the church, will always owe the world love. Owe no one anything except love. Why do we owe a love to all? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He first loved us. He gave his life so that we could have life. And part of that life is to love others. We owe the world our love because Jesus loves us. So Paul says, let your love be genuine and you owe that genuine love to the world. And then he says, you know the time. You know the time. You know the kairos moment before you. Paul calls us to action in the last four verses. Let me read them. Besides this, beside, in other words, besides my words about genuine love and showing it to the world, you know the time. And the word time in the Greek is kairos and not chronos. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify the desires. So first Paul calls us to wake from sleep. And what he's saying there is, what Tommy shared with us last week, avoid conformity to the worldly philosophies of man that don't line up with the scriptures. Avoid the temptations of the devil. Reminds me of a song when Paul says, wake from sleep. Uh, Keith Green, anybody remember Keith Green? Asleep in the light, this is one of the verses. It says, the world is sleeping in the dark. We would agree with that. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? This is pretty, I don't want to say condemning, pretty challenging. When you've been so well fed, Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. Now that doesn't apply to any of us, ever. 
But this is our Kairos moment to bring the love of Jesus to the world. We owe the world that because of what Jesus did for us. And we start by getting out of bed spiritually. Well, physically as well. Then Paul says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. God has created his kairos moment for his people. The evil in the world is far gone. It's really, really bad. And yet the day is at hand. That critical opportune moment is at hand. So he says, then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I don't know about you, but being able to put on the armor of light, the armor of God, that's a kairos moment in and of itself. For some of the men and women in the church who've, who served in the military, when you put your body armor on, you get a bit of a feeling of security. Well, the armor of light is eternal security, and it's powerful. And so that's a kairos moment in and of itself. Read Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. But God calls us to step into the Kairos moment with the armor of light on. In Romans 13, 12, in the NIV version, I got a picture. There we go. It says, isn't that great? See, when you get up Monday morning, that's who you are. You're not this broken, sorry, disillusioned person struggling with everything and everyone. That's not who you are. Because as a follower of Christ, you get to put on the armor of God. That's who you are. The night is nearly over. The day is also here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So if you're struggling with relationships and circumstances and feeling like you're helpless and hopeless, God wants you to know that if you get out of bed and you put on the armor of light, you'll be able to fight the darkness that seems to be surrounding you. You're not hopeless. And you're not helpless. You're a follower of Jesus. You've been issued the armor of light and you get to put it on. So it's time we push back the darkness with the genuine love that we owe to everyone. And finally, Paul calls us to walk properly as in the daytime. Our daily walk is to reflect the light of Christ. Each and every day, our walk with Jesus brings his light into the darkness. Have you ever felt like you missed a moment a kairos moment, and you'll never recover. Your life won't ever be the same. You just missed it, and now I'm just going to kind of live this, this class B kind of life. If you think that way, if you think that's happened to you, you're wrong. Think about Peter. Peter, on the night Jesus was arrested and tortured, he had three opportunities to share the love of Christ with people. And all three times he denied who Jesus was. In fear, he walked away from Kairos moments. 
But what did the Lord do? The Lord restored Peter. The Lord welcomed him back. The Lord gave him an incredible mission. He's had, he had so many Kairos moments that are recorded in the Bible. Just a few of those would be like, life is amazing. So don't ever feel hopeless or helpless or you've missed one or too many Kairos moments that God will never use you again. It's just not true. You still have the armor of light to put on. You still can get out of bed and you can still walk as the light because the light of Christ shines in you and through you. So we know the time and it's time to love the world and bring the light of Christ to the world. This is our Kairos moment. We get to push back. We get to push back the darkness with the light of Christ as we walk as the light. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room. And Lord, I thank you for how your spirit is intersecting with their hearts, using the word spoken, using the word spoken through you, using your presence to minister to each one of us. And so, Lord, we want to not allow Kronos to disguise the Kairos moments that you have for us. Lord, help us be focused on your genuine love so that we can be the light in the world, that we can walk as the light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.